Well, if you could have that first reading open in front of you from Acts chapter 17, but also just keep a finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because we'll be looking at that at some point later too. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would speak to us from your word this morning. Father, please help us to hear what you have to say to us. And please help us to have receptive hearts to hear what your spirit is saying to each one of us. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, my next door neighbour in Liverpool was a guy called Alan. He was an older man with grown up children who were my age, and we would often chat over the garden fence. Inevitably, the conversation would gravitate towards the state of the world the bad manners, the disrespect of young people, and the way that wicked people seem to be getting away with stuff all of the time. Maybe you've had conversations like that. He was by no means out of the ordinary. For a long time, I used to say to Sarah that the easiest way to get into a gospel conversation in our neighborhood in Wavertree was to start by finding common ground talking about the wickedness and the injustice in the world, and then work on from there. Perhaps you can imagine how it would go. Something like, yes, there's a lot of rotten people out there who seem to get away with it, don't they? Wouldn't it be great if there was a day of total and complete justice coming? Something like that, and then getting into the gospel. There are times when our hearts ache to see justice, aren't there? One of my favourite websites, uh, when I want something interesting to read when I'm a bit bored, is a website called listverse.com. It's a site that gives top 10 lists of the kinds of interesting stuff that, that people post up there. And then they argue, the author argues, for why they chose them and put them in that order of one to 10. A while back, I happened across a list called Top 10 Derailed Doctors Who Creatively Abused Their Patients. Well, I was, uh, I was fascinated. Numbers nine and 10, respectively, were the doctors Shiro Ishii and Yosef Mengele. Perhaps you've heard of Mengele. Ishii was doing much the same stuff uh, to the Japanese at the same time as Mengele was operating. These two were staggeringly evil men. They conducted all sorts of sick human experiments. Uh, at the Auschwitz death camp where Mengele was, uh, he famously gassed 750 women simply to get rid of a lice infestation in their dormitories. He drew, on one occasion, a line on the wall in the children's block, 150 centimetres from the ground, about five foot. And children whose heads would not reach that line were just sent to the gas chamber. Unbelievable. A colleague of his remarked, he was capable of being so kind to the children, to have them become fond of him, to bring them sugar, to think of small details in their daily lives, and to do things that we would uh, genuinely admire. And then, next to that, the crematoria smoke. 
and these children. Tomorrow or in half an hour, he was going to send them there. You know, after the war, Mengele showed little regret or remorse for his crimes. Uh, he actually expressed in a letter his astonishment and disgust over the remorseful position taken by others in the Nazi regime. Here's the thing. Mengele survived the war and was never caught or tried for any of his crimes. He fled to South America, where he lived a very comfortable life, evading capture. And he finally died in 1979 in Brazil. They say possibly from a stroke, whilst he was taking a leisurely swim in the Atlantic Ocean. Hearing about the atrocities that these men committed makes the blood boil, doesn't it? If there was anyone that needed the judgment served out to them, it was men like these. Yet neither of them, neither of those two doctors was brought to trial. By all appearances, they enjoyed the rest of their lives and they died peacefully. They never saw justice. And that is simply outrageous. Yet it's a bitter pill that we have to swallow, isn't it? If there's no resurrection from the dead. Now there's a load of stuff I could say this morning as I talk about the resurrection. But I'm really just going to make two points this morning. The first one is this. Without the resurrection, there's no justice. The second is that without the resurrection, there's no hope. Well, you can see the first one, can't you, quite clearly. If the dead are not raised, then, well, all the wicked men and women of the past, who were never brought to justice in their lifetime, they simply got away with it. And with some crimes, like the ones I've just mentioned, you could argue that there is no punishment that actually fits the sheer magnitude of the offence. How do you make up for thousands of innocents slaughtered at Auschwitz? Well, the first thing is that the resurrection assures us that death is not the end. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, quite a well-known verse, reminds us of this that man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Those who escape justice in this life have not managed to get away with it. Do you see? The very next item on their agenda, having passed from this life to the next, is an appointment in God's courtroom. Turn briefly, just open up your Bibles and look at those verses from Acts chapter 7 that we read earlier. The Apostle Paul preached to the ancient Greeks in Athens. That's what he's doing at this particular point in the passage. And he told them this. He says, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands people everywhere to repent for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. So notice first, God has set a day, says the Apostle Paul. 
If you were to open up God's diary, should he have one, you would find a day ringed in there, big red ring round it, with the label Judgment Day. It's the day, according to Paul here, when God is going to see the scales of justice brought into perfect balance. Every sin will be punished correctly. It'll get the, the punishment it truly deserves. And it will be a fearful and terrible day for all of those whose debt of sin against God has never been dealt with. On Friday, we were reminded of that wonderful news, weren't we? That Jesus has paid the sin debt for us. He did it on the cross. We heard that forgiveness is available to all who will turn back to God, put their trust in him and ask for it. But getting back to Acts chapter 17, take a look. Because second of all, notice this judgment will be dealt out by none other than God's chosen and appointed judge. The man he has appointed, the risen Lord Jesus. And how do we know that this is true? Because we're given proof. Look at verse 31 there. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him, by raising Jesus from the dead. The day of judgment is as certain as the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if you've never uh, investigated the claim of Jesus's resurrection, then I implore you to do so. Uh, if you look at what Paul's saying, it's a really important thing to do. And I've found the evidence to be compelling. And if Jesus really rose from the dead, if that's true, if Jesus is alive, then this judgment day is most definitely coming. The judge is assigned and at this moment, the clock is ticking. Now, there's a surprising amount of confusion about the relevance of the resurrection for Christians, about what it actually means and why it's important. See, we're, we're pretty good at talking about the crucifixion. That is, we're good at explaining why Jesus had to die. We're good at explaining that Jesus died as a substitute for sinful people like you and me, that he took the place of sinners suffered on the cross because he was being judged, not for his sins, but the sins of others that he had taken on himself. Then on the cross, he bore the full force of God's wrath against the world. Then on the cross, he dealt once and for all with the sins of all of his people. Wonderful news. But we tend to stop there. And then we kind of tag the resurrection on at the end, like some kind of minor addendum. Oh yes, and three days later, happy ending, he rose back to life. But that's not how the Apostle Paul sees it in any of those verses that we just read. Without the resurrection, there is no justice. The resurrection means that life after death is a reality. The resurrection means that God's judge is alive and that justice will be done, which is a fearful thing, if that's all the resurrection means. But there is more, of course. Our second point 
is that without the resurrection, there's, there's no hope. Look back at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that second reading that we had. In verse 14, we read this. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Richard Wurmbrandt was a Romanian Christian minister who was imprisoned and brutally tortured for years because of his faith in Jesus. One time he told a story about a Cistercian abbot who was being interviewed on Italian television. Now Cistercians have a tradition of living in silence and solitude. And the interviewer asked, and what if you were to realise at the end of your life that atheism is true and that there is actually no God? Tell me, what if that were true? The abbot replied, holiness, silence and sacrifice are beautiful things in themselves, even without the promise of reward. I still will have lived and used my life well. Sounds really majestic, doesn't it? Sounds very noble, but how would the Apostle Paul have answered that interviewer? <laughs> Look at the words we just read. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. He's radically different, isn't it? In fact, his answer is the complete opposite of the answer given by the abbot. No one who's walked a mile with suffering could give such a glib answer as that abbot did. Can you imagine if that's all the confidence a man like Richard Wurmbrandt had? Arrested and beaten, imprisoned and tortured for so many years. Worth it? No! Not if it's based on a lie. If it's all a lie, well, better to deny Jesus and pursue comfort. If Jesus is not risen, if he's not alive today, then we might as well all just pack this whole thing in. You see, the church is not a nice little social club where we all meet up to listen to a, a lovely little sermon and then talk about the weather and drink a cup of tea. The church is people. People who have been called to take an urgent message to the world that they live in. To warn people about the judgment day that is fast approaching and telling them how they can be ready for it. How will you be ready for that day when sins will all be judged? Well, by having your sins paid for and dealt with by Jesus. But, verse 17 there, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. If there's no resurrection, do you see, there's no hope. Jesus made a lot of promises and predictions. He promised again and again that after three days he would rise. If he could not even keep that one promise, then he certainly couldn't keep 
any of the other promises that he made, like promises to deal with your and my sin. If Jesus is not alive, then his sacrifice failed. God did not accept his offering on our behalf. He was not able to pull it off. Sin was not dealt with. And if your sin is not dealt with, well, then there's no hope for anyone on that judgment day. That's why we stand firm as Christians on these truths. Jesus lived. By his every word and deed, he showed himself to be the perfect, holy son of God. Jesus died. He died on behalf of all who trust in him. He suffered their sentence in their place on the cross. And thirdly, Jesus is alive. He's alive. The tomb is empty. The body is gone. The body could never be produced by anyone. There was no last resting place of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was walking around using his body. In this same Bible passage, in verse 6 actually of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul remarks that he knows of over 500 people who saw the risen Lord Jesus. And that was just on one occasion. It seems the Christians in Corinth, where Paul was writing to, were actually starting to question the resurrection or maybe to reinterpret it. Perhaps the resurrection's just a metaphor, maybe they were thinking. Hold it, says Paul. I can give you names and addresses of hundreds of witnesses who saw him. Go, question them. See if all of their testimonies line up, do the investigating. Paul wasn't worried about that. He knew the truth. For 40 days, Jesus walked and talked and ate with his disciples. They touched him, they saw him, they handled his physical body. His disciples laid down their lives rather than deny the truth of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And throughout history, even today, people who've encountered the risen Jesus still do the same. If Jesus rose from the dead, then there is forgiveness for sins. And this life and this body is not all there is. There is hope beyond the grave. This life is just the beginning. It's just the entree. There is eternal life to come. What powerful and encouraging truths these are for the days that we live in now. Because Jesus is alive, Paul argues in verse 54 there, death has lost its sting. An everlasting life beckons to all who would put their trust in him. No resurrection? Well, you've got no justice. No resurrection, you've got no hope. The physical and historical resurrection of Jesus means that all of mankind will be brought to account. And that can be a scary thought. But the resurrection also means there's hope for sinners. There's hope for you and there's hope for me. Jesus has proved himself to be stronger than the grave and able to save completely. 
to save all who put their trust in him. Put it all together and you've got a beautiful thing here. Your judge is also your saviour. Jesus, the very one that God has appointed as judge, the judge before whom all must stand, is also the saviour who holds out his hand right now to rescue you. Forgiveness of all your sins, peace with God, hope for the future, life eternal. What better opportunity than today, Easter Sunday 2020, to start trusting and following the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this wonderful news of blessed hope, that you have raised your son from the dead, that he is the judge of all mankind, but also he is the redeemer, the one who gave his life to pay for our sins and has guaranteed what he's done for us by rising again from the dead. Help us, Father, to put our trust in him and not to be afraid. For we ask this in your name. Amen.